0: And the Athlone Little Theatre Company authorise Athlone Community Radio to broadcast on goethe Beach, The Great Hunger, solely for the entertainment of the broadcast's audience. Any commercial use of this broadcast is not authorised. This is an Athlone Little Theatre production. You're very welcome to this very special broadcast here on Athlone Community Radio, 88.4FM. So good evening and you're very welcome. I'd like to welcome all our listeners around the country and around the world who are listening via our website or via Global Irish Radio in Chicago. Um, I'm Philomena Murphy and I'll be with you for the next hour and a half. This 90-minute program is dedicated two on goethe beef or the Great Hunger, an epic poem written by Thomas Mylan, a fourth generation Irish-American who traces his family back to Ireland during the famine. His ancestors left Ireland in 1851 and this is what inspired Tom to research his family and to write about Ireland at that time. This epic poem comprised of 20 original poems with a total of 650 lines, is the result of that extensive research. In June, and again on Culture Night, members of Athel Little Theatre performed a staged reading of the poem and today we will listen to a recording of that performance. We will also have a live performance by local musician Liam Wynette playing the pipes, and three members of Athlone Little Theatre who performed the poem will join us in the studio. And we are absolutely delighted to be joined also by Tom Milan, the poet himself, who has flown in from his home in Paris, especially to be here with us this evening. Tom, you're very welcome once again to Athlone Community Radio. For our listeners who will shortly be hearing the performance of On Gerta Morbys for the first time, can you tell us briefly, Tom, about what they're going to hear?
1: Um, As you said, my family uh, is Irish. The basic family came from Limerick County on on the male side. And in my youth, in talking to different members of the family about why our great-grandparents came to America, the word famine was always used. And a few years ago, after I'd retired, I started asking myself, what exactly was the famine and what did it mean? And as I read the different histories and different articles on the Internet, uh, the subject became more and more um, uh, um, um, open to me, knowledgeable to me, and I felt at some point that Also, I realized that there had never been a poetry work, an epic narrative poem that ever had related the events, what I consider to be essential events of the famine, written. And I decided that I would try to do that. And what what will be heard tonight is the result of that search for me, trying to find out why my great-grandparents left Ireland. Exactly, great.
0: Lovely, thank you. And um, so the first thing we are going to do is we're going to hear some music from Liam Wynette before we get stuck into um, listening to the actual poem itself. Um, Liam, thanks very much for joining us and being part of our program. You're very welcome. Thank you. Um, you've been here before. You've um, A couple of times. Yeah, way, yeah, so you're not a complete stranger to no. us. So, um, you're going to play the Illin Pipes for us. Can you tell us a little bit about the tunes
2: that we're going to hear? I can. I can tell you that um, well, the first air that I, that I played on the night, it's called On Postume Fun. Um, it translates, translates to the, the Fair-Haired Child. And it, the title appears in a list of tunes in this repertoire bought, brought by Philip Goodman, um, the last professional and traditional piper in Farney Laos. And um, the second, the second air is uh, "Dark Loch Nagar and it's actually based off a poem by Lord Bryan, um, and it was written, composed in 1807, where it discusses the author's childhood um, in North East Scotland, where he used to visit Loch Ngar in in High- Highland Aberdeenshire.
0: Um, so we're going to hear one tune now and then one a little bit later I'm on to,
2: I'm going to go for the the fair-haired childbirth perfect
0: so in your own time whenever you're ready thanks very much Liam <sighs> Thank you very much. I think that was a very fitting um, lead-in to uh, listening to the poem. So the first thing that we're going to listen to is um, some translations of some words and phrases that are in the poem, um, because we are being joined by people across the globe who are tuning in via our website and also via Global Irish Radio in Chicago, So, um, yeah, let's go for that first. Here are some translations. Wild geese. The departure from Ireland to France, terms of the Treaty of Limerick in October 1891, or 200,000 Irish Catholics, 140,000 soldiers, under the command of William Sarsfield, they had supported the Catholic King James II, but were defeated at the Battle of the Boyne. Albion, another name for Great Britain. Jackdaws a European bird known for stealing food from other birds. Prasi, the Irish word for potato. Peel, Robert Peel was the United Kingdom's Conservative Prime Minister from 1842 to 1846 when the famine began. Putin, an alcoholic drink like whiskey distilled illegally by the Irish in rural areas. Scrooge, a cold-hearted miser in Charles Dickinson's 1843 story A Christmas Carol. Laissez faire, the English economic policy of the Whig political party. Whig, during the famine, it ruled the United Kingdom from June 1846 to February 1852. Fear Gurta, Irish mythological phantom of hunger. Murphys are potatoes and rates are taxes. Dombean men, shady businessmen who loaned money at usury rates. Hanging Gale, are rents owed in arrears. Peel's Brimstone Indian corn imported from the US to feed the Irish during the famine. Shillelaghs A thick stick or club used as a weapon. Beyond the Pale The part of Ireland under English control was known as the Pale. Beyond the Pale had the meaning of an area without any controls, so chaotic. Mathis An English economist whose theory was that food production will not be able to keep up with the population's growth. Banshee, an Irish folklore female spirit who heralds death. Ochon, the Irish word for condolences. Dúlahon, when this figure from Irish folklore calls a person's name, their soul leaves their body, resulting in immediate death. And now that the formalities are out of the way, we are going to listen to on Goethe beast, so sit back, relax and enjoy this performance of the poem by Athlone Little Theatre.
3: Copyright 2020, Thomas J. Mylan, All Rights Reserved. Gartha Moore Bit The Great Hunger, by Thomas J. Mylan. Prologue.
4: My name is Thomas James Mylan. I'm a fourth-generation Irish-American immigrant. My great-grandparents, John and Margaret Moylan, were born in Limerick County, John in 1811, and Margaret in 1831. They emigrated from Ireland to the United States due to conditions in Ireland related to the potato famine. In researching my family's history, I found Margaret's obituary printed in February 1906 in the Galesburg, Illinois, newspaper. The article noted that in 1849, Margaret, being only 18 years old, traveled from Limerick to London to marry John. A year later, their first child, Elizabeth, was born in England. In 1851, they sailed from London to New York, where they settled upstate near Albany in the farming community of New Lebanon. Then, around 1856, they went to Galesburg, about 200 miles west of Chicago, where they bought land. They farmed successfully until 1890, when they moved to Galesburg to live in a house they had built for their retirement. I have a photo of them standing in front of their house on the farm. In 2014, I visited the Galesburg area, where I have walked on their farmland and also saw their retirement home. About the time John and Margaret settled in the Galesburg area, they were joined by Patrick Moylan, I believe that he was John's cousin. Patrick bought land to farm and also to exploit to coal deposit. Both men were about 45 years old. During my visit to Galesburg, I met Thomas Milan, who was the great-grandson of Patrick. This work is a testimonial to them and the more than a million Irish who participated in the mass emigration from Ireland, a diaspora, fleeing the famine's horrors to the more than a million people who died in Ireland during the famine years, and those who survived to pursue the struggle for Ireland's nationhood. As a fourth-generation Irish American, I had long wondered about their journey. Why did they leave Ireland to go to America? This work is the result of my readings, my search. For me, the famine is a difficult subject to study due to its long duration, and the extent of its appalling horrors. At times, I had to put the subject aside because it was much too sad for me to realize that my family relatives were living daily such terrible experiences. I persisted in my research because I thought their story had to be related in a narrative poetry work. In closing, I cannot bring myself to say that I hope you will enjoy this presentation. I will just simply say that I hope you find the time spent listening to the work was worth your while. Thank you for listening.
3: Ireland, Ireland, that cloud in the west, that coming storm. William Gladstone,
5: October 1845, letter to his wife.
3: The Calling, One
6: off somewhere pipes were playing. Afar, anguished voices were calling. Our tragic story must be heard. Who among us shall pass the word?
5: Galway, Castlebar, Sligo, Boyle, Donegal, Armagh, Athlone, Ennis, Boy, Cashel, Skull, Skibbereen, countless died not even seen.
7: Terrifying scenes, appalling. People, young and old, were starving. In this fair land, thousands dying. From unknown graves they were crying.
5: Cavan, Kilkenny, Kilrush, Cork, Mallow, Mohill, Tullamore, Glengin, Dingle, Longford, Limerick, Croom. English beliefs meant Ireland's doom. Ireland's lush green fields had turned black.
8: So much land was lying in waste. Potatoes rotting in the fields. London's aim,
5: Ireland's yields. Killala, Clenties, Tulla, Nace, Lismore, Milford, Strabane, Scarf, Clonmel, Clifton, Navan, Kinsale. Everywhere, one heard people wail.
6: Terrifying scenes, appalling. People, young and old, were starving. In this fair land, thousands dying. From unknown graves, they were crying.
5: Ballina, Bantry, Currafin, Gort, Kells, Swinford, Tipperary, Carrow, Tum, Trim, Trilly, Raskeel. Foreigners asked, Are these scenes real?
6: Ireland's lush green fields had turned black. So much land was lying in waste.
7: Potatoes rotting in the fields. London's aim. Iron
6: of somewhere pipes were playing of far anguished voices were calling our tragic story must be heard
8: who among us shall pass the ward
3: the immigrant
4: one they stand proudly in front of their small white house there on the great plains looking at the photo one doesn't know their journey's trials its pains Who were they? My great-grandparents, who came from the west of Ireland during the potato famine. Why they left? I didn't understand. My great-grandfather worked the land. Having his own ground was a dream. In Ireland he labored, no doubt, with his, his goal, the constant theme. Knowing the conditions in Ara, leaving was his only desire. The choice to go was not easy. He wouldn't be there to light the fire. Leaving Ireland was the sole way to get oneself out of the mire. Gone would be English prejudices, the Church of Ireland, the Empire.
3: Penal Laws
6: Era was a defeated land, Irish peasants dispossessed. The landlords were foreign conquerors, viewed with real scorn. For the wild geese, peasants did still mourn.
5: The English judged the Irish-Catholics as uncivilised, rude and so crude shipless, reckless and feckless. they were known for drinking, fighting and indolence London's goal, Edmund Burke knew was to oppress and degrade the Irish to impotence one shouldn't have planned on passive resistance to understand the Irish one must know the penal law's blows whereby the Irish were grasped by Albion's sharp claws. The English were thieves, much like black jackdaws.
6: There was a defeated land. Irish peasants dispossessed. The landlords were foreign conquerors, viewed with real scorn. For the wild geese, peasants did still mourn.
9: Penal laws
5: prevented Irish Catholics from the means of bettering themselves. They were banned from attending schools to learn math, read, write, and skills of a trade. They were cut by a sharp Protestant blade. The Irish, knowing they were no one's fools, organized unlawful local hit schools. They could not have a business or own land. Their robbed lands were given to Protestant hands. No chance to learn a profession like law they should be glad to wear rags, sleep on straw. Their poor state was due to their papist faith, rendering the Irish helpless Albion's aim.
6: Era was a defeated land, Irish peasants dispossessed. The landlords were foreign conquerors, viewed with real scorn, for the wide gates peasants did still mourn. When seen to the
5: Protestant English prison Irish were subjected to harsh criticism the Irish were no doubt indolent penal laws didn't inspire them to learn work given a job English taught Irish shirk English viewed the Irish are deceitful when Albion was the master of deceit what to do when one had nothing to eat English belief the Irish were savages while they were only trying to live. Penal laws made the Irish a fugitive in his old dearly loved native land.
6: Era was a defeated land. Irish peasants dispossessed, the landlords, foreign conquerors viewed with real scorn, for the wild geese peasants did still mourn.
3: The Blight
8: The summer of eighteen forty five from "'Till there, till, to, cor, golly, Johnny goll "'Potato fields were a lovely green. "'A bountiful harvest was foreseen. "'Then one morn people were talking. "'What had they seen in the pretty plot? "'It was, they said, a horrific sight. "'Chubler's leaves had turned black by a
9: blight.'
6: Potatoes dog looked fine, good to eat. "'In a few days turned bad, were rotten.' At the patches hung a nauseous smell. What could this mean? No one could tell. With the passing days, reports told of the blight spreading through the land. News came. Large parts of the crop lost. No one knew the ultimate cost.
7: Dear few, Irish reports often exaggerate. were inexact his best policy was delay treasury never liked to pay the potato crop was vital poor Irish ate them every day for they were the basis of life the crop's failure surely meant strife.
5: English view the Bible states all men were made equal from clay but remember Cain and Abel English didn't see the Irish as brothers they believed that they were above others. To build themselves up, the English needed to keep the Irish down under their boots. English hearts were harsh, cruel, as cold as stone. They could not hear the skeletons moan. The Irish were only good for their toil. Dumb beasts of the burden they were, not human. No reason they should learn to read and write. Condemned to the darkness, not to see the light.
3: In the English view, the famine simply resulted from divine providence. Irish poverty, a sign of God's curse, placed too many charges on the treasury's purse. One did not require more evidence. English belief the Irish were a loud, lazy, rebellious, wild race. Their papist Roman faith was the reason... For drinking potty and plotting treason. England's duty to keep them in their place. Treasury knew its
5: mission quite well. For this purpose it did always strive. Request to aid era of little avail. Tribalians Irish views would prevail. English coins were not to save Irish lives.
3: Famine one
7: Mayo to caro, carry to cattle. In this land, tuber fields were black, not green. The blight had caused a widespread disaster. Such putrefaction had never been seen.
6: Folks cried bitterly when they saw their plants. To their chagrin, they knew they were foodless. Their feelings were mixed. Worry, woe, distress. They asked
5: what was the cause, but were clueless. Ireland's masses lived in semi-starvation. Each year the normal condition was stress, whether the potato crop failed or not. Sadly, fickle nature was pitiless. England's first plan was relief by labor. To eat those sick, weak, hungry had to work, eight to ten hours in all weather, The spirit of Scrooge lived,
3: the English quirk. Concerning error, the government stated it would take measures to protect life there. The plan was no deaths from starving would be allowed, yet
5: those starving didn't have a prayer.
3: Spring of 1846 came reports that
8: the people starving were in great need. Coins were bought, not enough for the hungry, this is fair was the honoured English creed.
6: Grain was doled out in paltry quantities. Peasants, paupers paid a high market price. The wages received for public works were set low. Means did not meet food cost, to be precise. The circumstances were desperate. No food. People ate anything they could devour. Angry, tottering mobs. Attacked food stores People ate lettuce Grass The hour was dour While the Irish were starving The English kept exporting food Barley Oats Wheat Corn Cases of disease grew Emaciated folks were everywhere Ireland was forlorn
7: Famine's real evil wasn't hunger Disease weak positions were known, chapter and verse. The moral evil was the character of the Irish, selfish, disturbed, perverse.
3: Meanwhile in Whitehall, Trevelyan and Wood were sipping tea and eating their fine cake, while reading urgent requests from Dublin to send some food relief. Yes, for God's sake. Fale
8: Gusta rose again from the grave, to stalk famine Ireland many long years. paupers were eating rotten potatoes, constant suffering, pain, so flowed the tears.
3: Evictions
7: the 1 Rent's not paid, reasons were the same. Murphy's rotted, no one to blame. Consequence of the tuber blight. Bailers would, would come, come at like day, day first light. What folks lived a terrible fight,
8: the few, few goods thrown out, out, awful sight. Crowbar gangs worked fast with dispatch. dispatch, someone
9: would call to the patch, where, where could they sleep, sleep the those rainy nights? Solar striking pots were making loud clangs, battering rams, rams were making strong bangs, evictions, evictions were hashed
6: chaotic. Constables, friends, neighbours drawing, patches burning, walls are falling,
8: houses humbled, villages destroyed, accusation, accusation condemnation, confiscation, confiscation
6: consternation. consternation, such was the Irish <inaudible> peasant's lot.
5: Strokes down, Kilroy, Ballonroe, Burr, Tumivara, Brackner, Gurtmore, Evictions occurred more and more.
3: Crossings.
6: In the famine years, more than five thousand Atlantic crossings made. Too many ships named to recall the Green Isle covered by a pall. Countless thousands left on the waves. They went from Dublin, Limerick, Galway, Newry, London, Derry, Westport, Waterford, and Sligo. How many left there? we don't know countless thousands left on the waves alert, famine perseverance albion, emigrant, triumph liberty were some of their names afterwards era wouldn't be the same countless thousands left on the waves over the daunting sea they sailed most hadn't seen the ocean before. The passages made on brig and bark; those ships became the Irish Ark. Countless thousands left on the waves.
3: Departures won.
6: Thousands, 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 thousands,
3: thousands
8: upon thousands sailing,
6: thousands upon thousands wailing, in their anguish arms were flailing. The winds of death prevailing. kept sailing the potato the crops kept failing, Celtic hamlets were being destroyed,
10: Era was living in a constant wake, living this loss, loss,
6: their, their hearts loss. would break. Thousands, thousands upon thousands leaving, The threads their lives had been weaving, ripped apart, apart leaving them bereaving, thousands on the quays were grieving. Thousands upon thousands, keening for family, friends and neighbours, loved ones gone, for to places unknown. With them, God's fields
9: would not be sown.
3: John's letter from America to Patrick.
8: Dear Patrick, I must say many Irish are here, living in Upstate New York. They have jobs and a place to stay. They are on their way. No more to say. Gone the absent English landlords. rates, Gone being men. The hanging gale. No more living in constant stress. One can build a life. I confess. No more Albion's attitudes. Known in Whitehall's strange views and laws. No more Peel's brimstone. Bail a sire. Leaving Ireland. One can aspire. Jobs are found in factories. On the railroads, mines, canals and on farms. We have seen us strong and able. What joy with food on the table? Oh I would love to be with you all of us warmed by the turf fire, laughing, and talking, and <laughs> sipping wine. Oh how I remember the scene the fiddles, whistles, pipes would play music, singing, filling the cabin lads and lasses did jigs. They could dance, whirling, jumping. God, they could prance. Parliament isn't to be thrusted. For they play a deceitful game. Albion's plan, keep us in hell. The time is coming soon to rebel. Then, some will get their shillelies. Moon rising. Lads will raise their pipes. Seeding anger one day will boil. That fine day we'll reclaim our soil. Patrick, the situation in Ireland is dire, though, ominous. The people are living in fear. I've sent funds. You must now come here. Your care and cousin, John.
3: Farron 2
6: Children are mistaken for old women, their young bodies distorted, bent in pain. Faces wrinkled, eyes gla- glared like those of a corpse. Folks were starving, dying. That was quite plain.
7: They were desperate due to the hunger. People half-naked dropped due to no food. Ireland was a slumbering volcano. It would surely burst. When? Then they'd
9: just brood.
6: With famine, more typhus, cholera, scurvy were seen. Deaths occurred on a massive scale. Wild, bare, skeleton hordes demanded grain. Outside Dublin wasn't safe beyond the pale.
5: Starvation reports were received daily. The masses accepted their fate, didn't complain. The Whigs' intent left no doubt, one could see. Their private aid calls became inane.
7: The little children, orphaned and helpless, became sick, then weakened, constantly cried. Many the babe had no mother, got no milk. They sank unfailingly, and alone died.
5: Trevalian thought the famine would cut Eris populace. Nature would take its course. He agreed clearly with Malthus's theory. Little would be done, he had no remorse. Irish negative stereotypes were shown, frequently in cartoons, pubs and punch. Paddy was an ape-like drunk, a bit round. He didn't miss meals, he drank poutine for lunch. To survive this hell, some people stole food where they found it, given their hopeless plight. Cannibalism reports came. The Irish wondered what could halt this dark, endless night.
7: English and Irish papers did report stories of sorrow seen very often. The people dying from hunger and disease. In Ireland were buried with no coffin.
6: Women holding infants on their arms, still hopeful, begging for food for them. They couldn't be consoled for their senseless loss. Numbed by pain, they didn't hear a requiem. Banshees were constantly screaming, shrieking, as the starving victims silently fell. Thousands were dying. Funerals could not be held for all. The church's bells did not knell.
7: Fiddles, tin whistles, harps, pipes fell silent. One heard the crass brass of temperance bands. Celtic music, language, culture dying. Lamentations were heard over the lands.
3: Meanwhile, in Whitehall, a virgin and wood were sipping tea, eating their fine cake, while reading urgent reports from Dublin to send more
5: food relief. Yes, for God's sake.
6: Coffin ships. During the famine, Ireland saw small ships making thousands of trips, more than a million souls sailing. Some boats were known as coffin ships.
8: Journeys were long, hard, taking months, cold days on the ocean's expanse. Staying in air meant famine and death. Life, no doubt, hung in the balance.
6: Thousands had to live in small spaces, too few bunks, most had to sleep on the floor. Stifling air, filthy rooms, it smelled like a cesspool. What pains they bore. Bad weather, they stayed
8: below. Poor food, bad water, pestilence. Voyages made at great expense, lives lost, English indifference.
6: Virginia, Virginia, Naomi, Naomi Agnes, Agnes, Eliza, Eliza Little, Little, Lord
8: Ashburton, Asperton, Syria, Larch, big, B, Aaron's Queen. Queen, poor soul failed not, not again, again to be seen.
6: Anxiety, horror, distress, how many Irish had a choice? People were beaten, prostrated, hunger, disease silenced their voice.
8: Well and ill were lodged together living conditions bad indeed the sick with fever were howling
9: water water they would plead
6: thousands perished during their quest where they only found briny graves no cross did mark their resting place price paid not to be english slaves
8: upon death loved ones rarely cried god bless her soul they would implore When put into the sea, sharks followed. Sentence on the landlords they swore.
9: Virginia, Naomi,
6: Agnes, and Liza little, Lord Ashburton, Syria, Larch, Dick B, B,
9: Aaron's
6: Queen, poor souls sailed not again to be seen.
3: They did not want to leave.
6: They left often. With the morn's high tide on the wide Atlantic they would ride. From Ireland's port they did sail. Perhaps they would find hope on the other side.
7: Thousands didn't want to leave families. The English landlords forced them to go. Irish removal was Whitehall's goal. On the quays they knew sorrow and woe.
5: The the Irish reduced the landlord's tax set by the poor all race reports are heard of the journey's risks on these crossings who could know their fate
8: being torn from their ancestral roots already mourning their stream wood glen they were cast off into the dark waters wondering would they see Era again
6: in case of death they feared that they would be buried at a cold spot at sea they hoped to live in their hamlets Then lay me under Irish soil, there, please. PUTTING Every
7: day had its work worries, as well as aches and pains, the corn. In the bogs one was cutting peat, in fields planting potatoes, wheat.
6: The weather was cold and rainy, making days work even harder. The cold would pierce, cut to their bones. Neighbours worked near, one heard their groans.
7: Worried they had plenty, of home while living on the razor's edge. Food was scarce, rent had to be paid, money had to earn, they were afraid.
6: To make do, one had to rent land. Peasants stayed, if the Lord agreed. Their lives hung by barely a thread, a fiction threat, a constant dread.
7: In the evening, when days worked on, to ease their sorrows, sufferings, time to thick the little potheen. It soothed their souls when life was mean.
11: Departures
3: 2
6: Thousands upon thousands were gone, passages bought without them knowing, thrown from their homes for rents owing. Lost the pleasures of home, fires glowing.
8: Hatred of English was growing, land eviction, English policy, the Whigs' Irish Poor Law, Gregory's clause, raised home, Irish laws held in English jaws. Thousands, thousands, upon,
6: thousands upon thousands
8: dying, dying
9: thousands,
6: thousands upon thousands crying,
8: crying Shift death notices, Whitehall denying, of Parliament's reports were blind, lying.
6: Somehow, Somehow the Irish kept defying. defying. They, they wondered why, why they, they had been forsaken. They knew they had to leave this morass. Their last night they'd share a parting glass.
3: Surpers.
5: No doubt the cause of the famine was the intervention of divine providence. The Catholic papist faith was the cause. Hunger, disease, and death the consequence. The Church of Ireland developed a plan, preaching to those hungry and destitute, launching an evangelical crusade. The goal of conversations was absolute.
3: To save Ireland, all one had to do was repent by becoming a Protestant. Joining the Reformed faith, Ireland would prosper thanks to England, benevolent. It was remarked
7: that those attending Silver Sunday service got a shilling. Sometimes clothes and food, where they haven't said effects on neighbours were quite chilling.
6: Starvation drove people to take the soup. English public plan didn't give real relief. Church of Ireland's revelation folks should be aged according to their beliefs.
3: Evictions
6: 2. The family evictions were rife, swept out of homes, swept out of life. Evictions, exile, disease, death. Land was improved by their work toil. Peasants fell close to hamlet soil. Landlords got the harvest best fruit. For their just complaints, no redress. Landlords were no doubt, merciless, their title was Convictation. On winter days, where could they go? Strong north winds had begun to blow. Winter evictions, death convictions.
5: Vengeance was ordered by the landlord. Calls for compassion were ignored.
3: Those who gave shelter were punished. Outcomes were not landlords' concern. Rents must be paid. One must be stern. Such was the House of Lords' firm view.
5: Do nothing, landlords were called, sir. What moved the English was an empire. English policy brought ruin to Ireland.
6: Evictions suffered indeed, well, shock. Landlords were not put in the dock.
5: Palmerston, Plan Rickard, Bingham Monteagle, Peel Russell all live
3: free Patrick's reply to John Dear John Your American news
7: interests me Concerning your thoughts on your um, I agree Your kind offer is appreciated Time to make a choice What is best for me For centuries the Irish were but slaves. To rule, the Saxon plan was to deceive. Certain factors need to be considered in making the choice to stay or leave. Saxon oppression of era is their goal. The English didn't want the Irish to strive, but to leave one must learn to make his way. In doing so, one takes risks, is alive. My sisters and brother need to be raised my folks ask, who will help in their old age? With each famine year, one's spirit withers. We've passed our lives brooding, trapped in a cage. Taking freedom's path means having regrets. My parents clearly don't want me to go. Those leaving don't know if they could return. But one must act. Strike empire a blow. No longer can I live by English rule. With my hands and keen mind, I know my skills. One must leave air gloom, despair, breathe fresh air. No longer should we bend to English will. Finally, your cousin Patrick.
3: Famine free.
6: Some poor destitute were packed in workhouses. Incompetent staff were known to be cruel. Human swineries, they were diseased ends. Meals were poor, such as stirabout and gruel. People
8: wore threadbare rags and had no shoes. Inmates were frail. One saw just skin and bones. Life was harsh, cold nights. There were no covers. Men had to work basic jobs,
5: breaking stones. Only workhouses could give famine relief. Those poor outside had to walk miles to eat. Lacking food, requests for meal were refused. When dying, corn kernels they would entreat.
6: Children covered with sores, screaming for food. Barefoot, they scavenged turnips like a crow. Half-naked mothers shrieking in despair. How many
7: years the Irish lived lives of war? Hordes of wretched souls yelling like demons, Second storage depots demanding grain. Riots countrywide, shots fired, lives lost. The situation had become insane.
5: The lords were contented in their manners, land was theirs, choice horses were in their stables. What they what had they done to merit this largesse? Few were the crumbs that fell from their tables.
6: Workhouses full, paupers were just turned away. The poor Irish didn't have the right to eat. Remember the tragic fates at Doolock. Mass graves, no shrouds, the poor could only beat.
5: Concerning Era, the government stated... They would take measures to protect lives there. The plan was no death from starvation would be allowed, if those starving didn't have a prayer.
7: Death ruled Ireland. Not all bodies could be buried, so dogs, cats, and rats had a feast. Some walled themselves in to die quietly. Whig leaders showed they were the most fierce beasts.
5: The Doolahan rode across the land, whip cracking, wheels clacking, searching his poor prey, to be flung in his black coach, always full. Everywhere one smelt the stench of decay. Meanwhile, in Whitehall, Trevelyan and Wood were sipping tea and eating white cake, while reading urgent requests from Dublin to send more food relief for God's sake English thought the Irish had major flaws divine providence didn't bring heirs' demise this we we know now was linked to the penal laws the cause, English bias we realised the facts Parliament's reports could not hide penal laws despots couldn't bring Irish pride countless famine deaths Certain homicide. Experts view this monstrous thing wasn't genocide.
3: The immigrants, too.
4: They stand proudly in front of their small white house there on the Great Plains. Looking at the photo, one doesn't know their journey's trials, its pains. Who were they? Our great grandparents who came from the west of Ireland during the potato famine. Why they left, we didn't understand. Our great-grandfather worked the land. Having his own ground was a dream. In Ireland he labored, no doubt, with this his goal a constant theme. Knowing the conditions and era, leaving was his only desire. The choice to go was not easy. He wouldn't be there to light the fire. Leaving Ireland was the sole way to get himself out of this mire. Gone would be English prejudices, the Church of Ireland, the Empire. Now we know our great-grandparents, who came from the west of Ireland during the Potato Famine. Why they left, we do understand.
3: The Calling to.
6: Off somewhere, pipes were playing.
8: Afar, anguished voices were calling.
6: Our tragic story must be heard.
7: Who among us will pass the word?
6: Terrifying scenes, appalling. People, young and old, were starving.
8: In this fair land, thousands were dying. From unknown graves, they were crying.
6: Ireland's lush green fields had turned black. So much land lying in waste.
7: Potatoes are rotting in the field, London's aim, Ireland's yield. Galway, Castlebar, Castle, Sligo, Boyle, Dundergall, Armagh, Athlone, Ennis, Borne
6: Roy, Cashel, Scull, Shivering, countless died not even seen. Cannon, Kilkenny, Kilrush, Cork, Mallow, Mowhill, Tullamore, Glynne, Dingle, Longford, Limerick, Limer, Croom.
8: English belief meant Ireland's doom.
6: Killala, Glenties, Tulla, Naze, Lisburn, Milford, Slavan, Clifton, Naul, Kinsale. Everywhere one heard people wail. Banagher, Bantry, Carfin, Gort Kells, Swinford,
9: Tipperary. Carol, June, trim, Raquel.
7: Farmers asked, Are these things real? Off oh, somewhere the pipes were
6: playing, a far English voices were calling. Our tragic story has
9: been heard.
3: For, for each, each
5: of us to have the words. Epilogue: A home. A million and more people, men, women and children died with English disdain from diseases and starvation a million or more people emigrated from Ireland on ships thousands died on these trips looking for salvation thousands upon thousands of acres having fine land were abandoned left in total waste thousands upon thousands of homes hamlets raised the residents thrown out died in haste
11: Uh
5: English policy of Irish removal decimated Celtic culture music not heard children not born Irish deaths were not due to the will of God but were the result of London's policy mourn Uh Uh Queen Victoria reigned over this land famine queen of the largest poor union ever known in 1849, she went to Erin. While people cheered, no one thought to atone. Oh. Oh. In thanks for their work, a grateful nation placed Wood and Trevelyan in prestigious positions in Her Majesty's service. English famine policy nurtured the seeds of Irish nationhood. Later, England would suffer from the loss.
9: Amen. 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 A home to the air, a home to a home to the air, a to a home to
3: the air, a Ireland, Ireland, that cloud in the west, that coming storm. William Gladstone, October 1845,
5: letter to his wife.
3: End.
0: Well I hope you enjoyed listening to that performance by Athlone Little Theater of on Beats by uh, Thomas Milan. Next up we're going to have another tune from Liam Wynette So Liam, in your own time, take it away <laughs> James Mylan and the Athlone Little Theatre Company authorise Athlone Community Radio to broadcast on Goethe-Moore Beach The Great Hunger solely for the entertainment of the broadcast's audience. Any commercial use of this broadcast is not authorised. This is an Athlone Little Theatre production. Thank you very much, Liam. Um, next, we're going to hear from Dr. Kieran Riley. Um, I spoke with Dr. Riley on the phone, and he's going to tell us. Um, About the famine from the point of view of the famine evictions, Dr Riley is a historian of 19th and 20th century Irish history at Maynooth University and the author of a number of books on the Great Irish Famine.
12: In terms of the Great Irish Famine, the topic of eviction has left the most legacy and the lasting bitterness. Um, This is so for a number of reasons, obviously because of the removal of people from the land and um, the emigration of others. And because of the fact that um, local communities were involved in the actual eviction process, um, it it is left and created a lasting legacy of, of bitterness. Um, what John mylan has done here with his poetry is he's provided a vivid picture of life in Ireland uh, during the 1840s, um, and in particular in relation to the poems about eviction.
11: Historians have long argued
12: uh, just how many people were actually evicted from the land during the Great Famine. And I suppose the the best estimates are somewhere in the region of 250,000 families were evicted. Um, And when you consider that maybe five or six people um, per household. That number is over. Just just over a million people uh, were evicted from the land um, during the late 1840s. There were four great waves of eviction in Ireland in the 1840s. Um, the first, after the commencement of the workhouses, um, once they were built, landlords started to evict, uh, saving the knowledge that uh, tenants would find refuge or shelter in the workhouses. The second phase comes after the um, introduction of the Gregory Clause in 1847, the third phase comes um, with the introduction of the encumbered Sales courts in 1849 um, when landlords began to clear their lands to make them more uh, saleable um, when they came to sale. And the fourth phase was after the 1852 elections, um, thousands of people were evicted um, from the land if they didn't vote for the landlord or his candidate on that occasion. In relation to eviction um, and the removal of people from the land, very often the work uh, was carried out by crowbar brigades, um, or wreckers, hot tumblers—various names assigned to these people. In his poetry, Tom has actually uh, highlighted this, and he talks about the crowbar gangs working fast with dispatch. Someone would put coals to detach, and he numbers a number of places. I think it's one of the strengths of the um, of the poems is that he actually names places. Uh, from which people were evicted and eviction occurs right across the country during the 1840s it's not just the west of Ireland phenomenon it happened right across the eastern seaboard into the midlands and, and towards the west uh, one of the counties: Strokestown, Strokes, Soundkill Rush, Robe, Barr to Rivara, and Gartmore evictions occurred more and more I think this, is, this listing of names of places um, is very important because you know eviction touches almost every community in the country at the time in my own research over the last number of years, I've tried out um, a listing of eviction sites, which numbers over 1,500 um, such sites where people were evicted during the 1840s. One of the fascinating things about the, this return is that it highlights that the evictors um, were not simply the aristocracy or the, the gentry. Um, they included shopkeepers, smart- merchants. Land in the, the decades before the famine, and once the blight uh, arrives in Ireland, the potato crop fails, and the tenants are unable to pay the rent. These people uh, begin to do just as the landlords' class are doing, and they evict. Um, the evictors also include schools, and colleges, and institutions, including the College of Physicians in Dublin, Trinity College Dublin, and the Erasmus. 5,000 acres of land, um, and they were amongst the, the, uh, the evictors of people. So it's it's a whole host of people um, that are actually involved in this process at the time.
0: If, I mean, you know, especially people listening to this programme, a lot of people wouldn't know about, you know, their family during the famine, not just people abroad uh, in America, but people living in Ireland would have no idea you know about their their family at that time if people lived or died. So how could people find out if they w- if they're interested in doing that?
12: Yeah, um, I suppose for generations after the famine, people didn't talk about what had occurred. Mm. Others deliberately uh, so avoided the question, um, and I suppose a lot of people would be curious as to how their own ancestors fared during the famine. Indeed, my own, when I, when I go looking uh, back through the records, I can see that some of them survived by stealing turnips from the neighbour's mm-hmm. garden. So there's very much people um, out out to to do anything that they could, um, anything, you know, for, for survival.
9: Mm-hmm.
12: Um, there are plenty of records which survived today which people can take a look through to see what happened and uh, their ancestors during the famine, such as the outrage papers in the National Archives of Ireland, um, estate rentals, um, Depending on what part of the country you're from, there should be estate rentals uh, surviving. There's the Famine Relief Commission papers as well, which are located in the National Archives again. Um, and these are a rich body of, of material about what life was like um, at a local level uh, during the Great Famine.
0: Great. Yeah, that's that would be a great starting point for people. Um, Dr. Kieran Riley, thank you very much for your contribution to our program.
9: You're very
12: welcome,
0: So that was Dr. Kieran Riley there from Maynooth University speaking to us about the famine from the point of view of the evictions that took place. Um, I'm now joined in the studio by Tom and by three members of Athlone Little Theatre. So the full cast um, who performed the play was Joe McCarrick, Billy Knott, Olive Martin, Pat Canty, Brian Toulon, Siarcho Malviel, Joel Steiner, and Chrissy Killian, and we're delighted to be joined by Pat Canty, Brian Toolan, and Chrissy Killian. Guys, welcome to the studio. Thanks for being with us this evening. Thanks
8: for being here.
0: So, I suppose, tell us about um, your experience as actors performing this epic poem. What was that like?
8: Well, when I saw the poem, first of all, um, I was frightened. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it was 36 pages long, and, uh, and and that wasn't even the full full of the the poem, but um, but but uh, I, I have to say, pay tribute to Tom and also to our director Joe McCarrick, because they worked uh, and worked and worked and worked on it, and the poem that you've just heard is is somewhat different, and certainly the, the presentation is somewhat different from what it originally set off and um, the journey it went on first, but. Uh, uh, much more excited about it now at the end <laughs> than frightened at the start what about you guys?
7: yeah, um, I suppose the first time that we were presented with the play uh, any time that you're in a play and it's sh- the it's written word on the page and it's really, uh, it can be it, it doesn't come across as well but when you get up and you start looking into it and you start reading it and trying to find the meaning of it and I suppose the way we did this poem uh, with different characters Okay. Makes a huge difference to it as well. You've got the different voices, and you've got the different emphasis of people coming from different directions, with um, <coughs> different experiences behind them, and. Uh it's behi- when you get it up on stage, or when you get it into to, to interacting with other people. That's what makes the difference, and especially here in this, it was, uh, yeah. It, at the, I, I agree with Brian at the start; it looked like very, it looked very daunting. Yeah. But once you get into it and uh, you immerse yourself in it, and so you get a bit of a, a grow for it, for yeah, the better work. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 it takes on a life of its own. Mm.
10: <coughs> I think a large part of that uh, credit is due to Joe McCarrick mm. because Joe read the initial script and he found the voices in it and found the rhythm in it and he animated it to a certain extent and he brought it to life and I think that was he found the truth within the words mm. and I think that's a huge tribute to Joe McCarrick. Mm, great. And was it an emotional thing for
0: you? I mean, this is our collective history I'm sure even if we don't know what happened to our family during the famine I'm sure every one of us has somebody that lived through it so was it kind of emotional from that point of view very
8: emotional and I think the audience find that emotional as well I kind of noticed that um for of it leans music, and that puts you in a different place. It, it transfers you yes. to, uh, to, a, to a special place in the Irish psyche. I think it's, it's an extraordinary sound. And then the audience just were quiet the whole way through you know it was a pin drop um, and uh, we were wondering were they asleep <laughs> <laughs> uh, no uh, but they you know the, the feedback for us was that it was very emotional and yeah. it's, it's um i mean essentially it's tom's story tom's family's story but it's a uh, it's uh, it's the story that we haven't as a people spoken about
9: mm.
8: you know it's That's not, it's not right. something we've talked about and um, and maybe after the pandemic this is the time to uh, to reflect on those things um you know,
7: mm-hmm. what would you think? I found that um, there was the, the bit that really got me was uh, Patrick's letter to his brother, and uh, there was just so much in it and so much emotion in it. He was the guy who stayed behind, and he was writing to his brother who had gone, who had emigrated, who had gone to America, and um, you could. There was just so much feeling and so much emotion and frustration, and but also. He's, like we have to breathe fresh air again, and like they mm-hmm. were in the middle of a huge conflict at that stage with penal laws and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, that was going on. So, I that that for me that was that encapsulated a huge amount of what the what the poem was about.
0: Yeah. And do any of you know about your family during the famine?
7: Yeah, um, I, I don't very
8: common. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a low profile.
7: Right? Most of my family would have been at the thir- turn of the century that would have emigrated to, rather than I don't know much about the family but a lot of it would have been the turn of the century twenty tens twenty. Yeah, that would have. Been. I, I know more about that than yeah. I would about famine types. I suppose as it was said there. It wasn't really talked about.
9: Mm.
0: Yeah.
7: I think
10: a lot of my ancestors would have gone over in the famine time as well. Right. And coincidentally went to Illinois. Okay. And they've settled there. They're, they're farmers. They're very prolific. There's a couple of hundred of them over well. there in southern Illinois at the moment. But they've come full circle. They retraced their roots about 50 odd years ago. And we had kept our family tree. And we knew right. exactly who they were, where they were, settled in Illinois. And uh, they visited us quite frequently and we keep up contact with all of that's us. That's great. So shout out to all the <laughs> Killians <laughs> in Illinois.
0: Yeah, who might possibly be listening via Global Irish <laughs> Radio in <or> Chicago.
9: <laughs> somebody
8: who is listening is, is my son and, uh, uh, and they're in America and they've made the, uh, Michael's made the decision to uh, to move to America uh, but for very different reasons than the reasons that, that's, um, yeah. that was in the letter to... Uh, uh, to Patrick in the yeah. poem um, you know, and it's, it's funny uh, we may not know our own experience in, in the famine but it was an existential threat to the whole community yeah. and everyone was affected by it mm-hmm.
9: um, since
8: 1845 for two people both not born in Ireland, one of them had died abroad
9: mm-hmm.
8: um, you know, the population is only back now to where it was yes. before the famine so it, it affected everybody in, in lots of different ways and mm-hmm. I suppose it still has a huge effect on us
9: today. Yeah. Yeah. I
8: also say to the
7: kids at school when we're teaching, about the famine and stuff like that—that that can you imagine double the population? That means double the houses. That means double the shops. That means double the size. Yeah. At loan, twice the size than what it is now. And yeah. that's just in a very simplistic way, if I explaining mm-hmm. it. But that's what it actually would be if yeah. the famine hadn't
9: happened. Wow.
10: And I think there's a lot, as we all say, there was a lot not spoken about mm, yeah. and people didn't talk about it. But there is uh, an innate race history of what happened and actions speak louder than words. And I know that my own mother, for example, would always have kept a store of flour and salt and sugar, yeah. you know, three or four months worth. Wow. And if it was just a darn thing in our house, I would do the same. My daughter does the yeah. same. That's really nice. Yeah. But we don't talk about oh, sure. it. Yeah. So interesting. It's like you just have to always make sure you're going to have something.
8: Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a thing in Ireland as well, that, that we always finish what's on the plate in front of us. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think they do that in other countries.
0: Mm. And, and other countries, they probably stop eating when they're actually full. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, if
8: it's on the plate, we have to eat yeah. it. Yeah. Never never finish it. Yeah. Maybe it's still have the
0: dishwasher. <laughs> 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 no it's understandable mm-hmm. yeah Tom um, can I ask you how was it for you you know listening to these guys, these guys performing your poem and actually you know your poem coming to life here in Ireland that must have been it's, it's quite a special thing for you I'm sure no, I,
1: um, yes it was um, when I came in June and I first met the, the actors at the theatre uh, at the last dress rehearsal um, I, I told them, I'd heard a couple of the recordings, actually the two-letter poems, John's letter to Patrick and Patrick's response. This is <laughs> an amateur company. Mm-hmm. And as, as I understand, it's one of the oldest one in, in Ireland. And so for me, you have these people that have their positions in life, that have their work, and they take their time and give their energy
9: mm-hmm. and
1: their creativity and created what I had written. Yeah. so no, I was extremely moved by that frankly I, when I first contacted Tom McGuire about this, I told him I had two goals, two wishes one was that the work would be played in Ireland by Irish actors, to an Irish audience that probably came to me when you heard the first poem, The Calling with the 58 localities in Ireland if you imagine me with my American accent trying to pronounce <laughs> it <laughs> so people would probably turn the radio off right away But the second was, and this is where Dr. Riley came in very, very strong, is there are only two audiences. The first is here in Ireland because it's the Irish proper story. But I'm a member of the diaspora. Mm -hmm. And as a fourth generation person, I felt had one foot in America and one foot someplace else. Okay. And this experience has really shown me where that other foot is in writing the poem. And my great-grandfather, for example, he, that's why I wanted to have a, well, the way the recording evolved was because of COVID. I initially wrote the work to be in, th- in principle presented in a theater. That's mm-hmm, been done. Okay. And COVID allowed, with thanks to, to Tom McGuire and Joe McCarrick, uh, to, to have the recording, and then we we're able to have the broadcast tonight. And it pleases me immensely that, that, in in principle, those people in Ireland who had ancestors lived this evening's experience but also people in America and Canada, and maybe even Australia and New Zealand, yeah. because I'm not sure what time it is over there. <laughs> so I was you know, very much uh, greatly affected by the story. Um, in our tradition, our great-grandfather, we have no tradition that he talks about having relatives back in Ireland. Oh. And when you see the size of Irish families back during the famine, <laughs> other than this gentleman, Patrick, who showed up in Galesburg, Illinois, in 1858, and they were about the same age, and I met his, grands- his, his great-grandson uh, Thomas Myle in his introduction mentions there's no oral tradition that the family was there. So in a certain way, when I wrote the text for Patrick's response, I take a little different take than Pat does in, in the sense that it's someone who decided that the time has come for me to go. Mm-hmm. I've had enough of, this, of these people. I know my skills, etc., and I'm leaving.
9: Okay.
1: And I'm sure that, in my readings of the famine, I think there were two scenarios in this. One was that the parents would be supportive of the child to leave because of the conditions of the country, but I'm sure there are other cases where the child made a decision to go against their parents' wishes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that's why the poem expresses that, and certainly in those kind of times, but especially when you see the, the scenes, and there's a, a newspaper the Illustrated London News that did reports during the famine, and have extraordinarily powerful drawings of different famine events. Right. And if you take a look at that on the Internet, it's probably looking at some of those images of people on the, on the docks and in the ships, okay. where you can imagine the emotion that those people must have been going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, many of the, famine, uh, many of the um, trips uh, in, the, in the immigration were there, uh, generally self-financed by relatives sending money back to Ireland in what they call the American letter.
9: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Certain uh, cases in the 40, 1845 and 1846, their families had uh, enough of their own funds to fund their own their own passage. Uh, but the, um, the, the 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 move to leave Ireland was certainly one of uh, a, a major event because obviously back then with transportation, it was a, anywhere from a six-week to three-month trip to cross, depending on the size of the ship mm-hmm. that you took. So. Leaving Ireland, many people thought, and for sure that was the reality of it, they didn't necessarily have, think they'd ever be back. And so that's why when they had a reception, frequently the night before the person would leave the village or maybe the dock, they called that the American Wake. Yeah. And so all of this came came to me in in the sense that I'm sure I, there were Moylands that lived the, that lived at the time of the famine. I don't know who they were. Okay. But I'm convinced that some of them also passed away. Yeah. Now in my research, I found Moylands who the, the ships going to Canada were what they called the coffin ships. Okay. The policy of the English was to depopulate Ireland, move them out, but also to populate Ireland, populate Canada. Okay. So the rates, ship rates, fares going to Canada were much cheaper. Uh-huh. So those ships were in much worse state. State. A condition than the ships going to America. Okay. A lot of times the food wasn't good, there wasn't adequate water, and then the Canadians saw these ships arriving in Canada with large percentages, half the people died on, 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 the, on the passage, weren't on the ship anymore, and many of them were, were gravely ill with typhus and those mm-hmm. kind of diseases. So they set up a, 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 on an island called Gross Isle downriver from Quebec City, a vetting center to receive people to be, be to see whether they be treated and whether they could live. In my in my research, I found Moylands that died in Gosile okay. mm-hmm. and I also found the Father Moylan, which was treating uh, them, uh, that was serving them as a priest. Yeah. And un- unfortunately, he also passed away. Mm-hmm. So clearly, somewhere in me, I felt that there were Moylans out there that were part of my lineage that didn't make it.
9: Yeah,
1: and that probably that certainly added to the 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 motivation for me. And in doing my research, I've not seen a poem that tried to discuss it. what I consider to be many essential elements of the famine. Uh, now, I didn't write to everything, because there also were the public works projects at the very beginning that ended up being a complete disaster, but I'm not enough, I'm not talented enough to write to that. <laughs> There's a book, and I should recognize uh, Professor Christopher Moorash at Trinity College, called The Famine Voice. He compiled, uh, or The Hungry Voice, sorry. He compiled a book of poems uh written by those who, were li- who lived the famine back then. And reading those poems is extremely uh, uh, important to try to come to an understanding, uh, uh, try to arrive to an appreciation of what the people were going through at the time.
9: Mm-hmm. Well,
8: in fairness, actually, your, your poem makes a, um, a reference to breaking stones. And there's a, there's a kind of a bitterness in it that this is a useless task. And then there's a reference later on to we've been seen as strong and able in America that the, the opportunities that America presented in, 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 in um, the farms and in the coal mines and yes, all the, sure. the railroads as you from breaking stones. So you, you do actually make it, you do cover that angle. <laughs> sure. Um,
9: and, and,
1: and actually, in my view, uh, um, the, the only beacon of light in this poem is essentially John's letter. Because when you take a look at the prejudicial views of the of the cat of the of the Protestants at the time, Church of Ireland, Church of Ireland, the Great Church of England, mm-hmm. when you see their negative attitudes towards the Irish at the time, yeah. it's frankly somewhat similar to what we whites in America had in the 50s, Well, actually for many many, a long time towards blacks mm-hmm. in, in America. And the when you took them out of the crucible of their culture here in Ireland, they had a chance to show what they could do, and and the idea of, of that. Poem was that get yourself out of there and you can show what you can do over here. So that was, but that's the only sort of word of hope in the in the
8: yeah, work. Yeah, it was me that actually read that, and I um, it, I, I actually laugh and smile in the in the play at that stage. Now you would think a, fa- a poem about the famine would all be, and one of the dramatic things that we like to do in, in drama is to have that contrast that you okay. cannot just have kind of one emotion of despair and desperation the whole way through, that you have to have the, the lightness, and yes. you're absolutely right. And I was the only yes. one to smile on stage, I think, and, and to laugh when I reminisce about the, 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 the music and, and the pipes playing and that there
1: Some of the reports, I, uh, I some of the testimonials <laughs> I found in mm-hmm. books were that the Irish were on the farms in, say, Illinois, were extremely happy that they were no longer under the boot of the empire. Uh, They could uh, work, have their own land, uh, uh, make their own whiskey. Back then they probably had moonshine too. (laughs) Uh, But they they found it really difficult, the distances between the farms. Because in the Celtic tradition, they would be in their little hamlets and Mm -hmm. communities, and they'd be socializing a lot. So there was a tremendous lack, loss because of the social aspect of being being in Ireland. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't... uh, It wasn't... um, always a positive uh, result. They were, they were suffering their, uh, both the fact they couldn't see their families and, and also the fact that they couldn't interact the same way that they did back in Ireland. So those, those are clearly aspects of, of the story.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we are just about out of time. There's, can I um, something Yeah, before we finish. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to
1: say, in, in, cl- in closing, I need to recognize some people that, uh, that are why we're here this evening. Great. Um, the first person is a French lady, Natalie Uh She's at the uh, European Broadcast Union in Geneva, and uh, she, uh, during a professional experience, she came to know Tom McGuire. Okay. And Natalie contacted Tom after having read, read, read after having read the poem in her garden in summer of 2020, and she sent Tom an email in on one October. And I d- excuse me, Tom, for talking out of school, but. Ten minutes later, Tom wrote me a mail and said, if there's anything I can do to help you get this done, Great. I'll do it. Okay. And he's been stellar in this, really, really. Um, the second person is obviously Dr. Kieran Riley. He's been very supportive of the project. Uh, Kieran uh, heard first, uh, the first few poems back in February 2020. And I obviously thank Kieran greatly. I agree fully with Chrissy that Joe McCarrick is, is vital to this story. Uh, Joe sent me a, an Excel spreadsheet showing the different voices uh, back last spring I think it was and when I saw that I showed it to my wife and said I think it's going to happen <laughs> so those those three and also well those three individuals are for me four leaf clovers that I thought on the road <laughs> to grow beasts, the great hunger here in Ireland obviously the actors and the company I was greatly moved by by their by their efforts and and finally you hear Philomena, at the radio station to Joe and I were coming out of the interview on Thursday before the performance in June. And Joe said, oh, hey, by the way, and uh, in a very short order, you agreed that we would do this. So, yes, I I, I want to tip my hat to all of you and the work they did. uh, I'm greatly moved. And
0: uh, I think that's all
1: I have to say. Thank you.
0: Thanks to all of you for... For joining us. We are at the end of the programme. So um I'd just like to mention all of the actors um who took part in the performance. Joe McCarrick, Billy Knott, Olive Martin, Pat Canty, Brian Tulin, Theater Mulvehle, Joe Steiner and Chrissy Killian. And thanks to Pat, Brian and Chrissy for joining us this evening. Thanks to Tom Mylan, um who obviously if it wasn't for Tom, none of this would be happening. And uh, thanks to Tom for for coming all the way here from Paris to join us this evening. Um thanks to Desi Parks, my sound engineer keeping us on the air, and thanks to Dr Kieran Riley for his contribution to our programme this evening. And thanks to Liam Wynette, uh, Piper, for um, coming in and playing those lovely Illin pipes for us. And thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in around the country and indeed around the world via our own website and via Global Irish Radio in Chicago. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to our broadcast this evening. Thank you very much. Thomas James Mylan and the Athlone Little Theatre Company authorise Athlone Community Radio to broadcast on Girthamore Beach, The Great Hunger, solely for the entertainment of the broadcast's audience. Any commercial use of this broadcast is not authorised. This is an Athlone Little Theatre production.